0: Hello and welcome to episode seventy-five, the long-awaited episode seventy-five, and we have da da da. Oh, there he is. Look at him. I'm here. I'm not dead. Uh, behold his amazing visage. Just, just really tired. He's he <laughs> comes replete with beard and hair. I do have a beard.
1: I do have a beard. I haven't shaved in a few days. I need to trim everything up.
0: A few days, just a couple of days, for that to come to <laughs> that to sprout forth. Well, well, it took
1: more than a couple of days to get the full beard, but but the uh, the the shagginess and uh, and neck beardiness needs to go away. It needs to get uh, trimmed up. Right, right, I've been driving, and when you're driving, nobody cares.
0: <laughs> that is true. I haven't noticed a lot of people like looking askance at me as I drive past if I haven't had a shave for a few days. Like, oh, who's that horrible fella going past? Goodness me, should take care of that neck beard. <laughs> How unsightly! You're 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 sullying the, the 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 roadways of this great nation with your unkempt beard. I, on I you. Am. I am. You've brought disgrace on your family. Um, <laughs> so, uh yeah, this is. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think. I did episode seventy four, um, and I almost got some. Uh, I almost got some hate mail. I say almost, well, it wasn't really. Oh. There's a chap in Auckland who may or may not wish for me to put his name on the air. So we'll say There's a chap in Auckland. You'll know who I'm who I'm talking about. Chap in Auckland who said, uh, please no more going through RPG.net. So <laughs> my, my intention was just to to come on and to say, look, I haven't died or anything like that. I've got, um, uh, um, in order to get a book done, you have to be fairly single-minded. Um, and I was working in my basement, and that's a big job, and I get very single-minded, so I just was doing it. And it just seemed to me that there was no way that I could possibly fit an hour into a week um, to do something, when in actuality I probably could, but that's just the mindset that I get. In any case, um, that's still on the go, but um, the podcast recently been few and far between. In any case, we are back today, and we're going to talk about uh, conventions. I know we talk a lot about uh, Big Bad Con, that's our personal favourite, and uh, Sean Nitner, we're hoping, will be here, and he can tell us a little bit about that, but for those of you that don't um, go to conventions, there's still going to be plenty of stuff for you as well, because I don't know about you, Sean, but I find that um, that conventions have a certain mojo. The games that you have there are always, I would say, on average, a convention game is far more memorable than any single session that you might have, despite the fact that um, they probably take a similar period of time to, uh, to complete. Yeah, well,
1: it, I mean, your weekly game is, I mean, it's your weekly game, right? But each con game is kind of a singular event uh right. so and, and they they come across that way uh and in my experience they come across both in the sense that con games either tend to be like really really good like i was really excited about that game that i just played or really pretty terrible <laughs> <laughs> but memorable yes, yes but memorable is- in both ways Yes. In both directions.
0: Yes, that, that's right. And I think, uh, so if you are, and, and I'm going to talk a little, hopefully Sean uh, Nitner will show up here. Um, if he doesn't, that's okay. But I've also got a con going on at the moment, well, I say going on, that I'm preparing for at the moment. Um, I would say largely inspired by the tone of a big bad con called Intrigue Con. Uh, and you can go to IntrigueCon.com if you want to attend a convention in a very small uh, room um, in the sort of central Central Alberta. So if anybody wants to uh, show up, you're, you're most welcome. But uh, we're about it's going on October the 18th and October the 19th. Uh, we're running one session Friday night, sort of a registration, getting to know you type thing. One session, be some board games and so forth, a few role playing games, and then uh, Saturday we've got a full day of gaming. Um, but but nothing on nothing on Sunday, so people have got a little, uh, little extra time on their hands before before work starts again. Our hope is that we'll uh, attract enough interest that we can go with a larger venue um, next year. But my feeling is better to to start small and uh, sort of work your way out rather than getting into hiring a several hundred dollar venue and and having nobody show up and just having sort of like a big empty room with nothing going on. With the four guys that organise the con going. (laughs) That's right. We're going to have a a game session right here. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, it's nice to have so much older (laughs) room, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So we're starting small and and working our way up. But as I say, hopefully Sean Nuttner will show up and we can talk a little bit. Oh, 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 that speaker! Speak of the, of the devil, he shall appear. He, he shall, he shall appear. Um, ladies and gentlemen, for those that are not uh, that are perhaps tuning in for the first time, we've got our uh, our second friend of the. Second friend of the show, probably uh, a close call between Sean Nittner and uh, Epidae Ravishol for, for appearances. But I think Sean probably is going to edge him for a number of episodes and probably total number of minutes will be pretty close. But anyway, hi, Sean Nittner. How's it going?
2: Hey, Daniel. I'm doing fantastic. Sorry I'm so late. I, uh, not a problem. Lost track of time. I like your backdrop there
0: yeah well it's actually i 'm not going to expose what 's behind there, but yeah. um, <laughs> suffice to say i 'm um, in the moment renovating my uh, house and it looks very uh, it 's very tidy and uh, and very professional but it 's purely to hide the fact that behind me there is a car and large boxes. If I look up here um, at probably not i 've got about nine feet worth of stacked possessions um going right to the ceiling of my uh, house but you can't see any of that because that's the magic of uh, television
2: yeah <laughs> right well, now
0: you just
2: <laughs> I, i'm just seeing the magic of that you looks like you have some vinyl prints from faith that look
0: yeah that's right awesome. Yeah, that's uh you can't quite make out the names there but i'll tilt it just slightly momentarily yeah i've got um over my oh, actually everything is reversed isn't it so over my right shoulder um you've got Mr. Cleveland, and then over my left shoulder, I've got Mr. Nixon, and then there's Mr. Carter, and out of shot is uh, is Mr. Lincoln, and you'll just have to uh, check the game out online or something if you want to want to see all those shots, but done by a uh, chap by the name of PJ McQuaid that's gone on to lots of, uh, well, not gone on to it. I don't want to seem like I've started his career or anything, his career was always already fully fledged by that time, but uh, for LA Weekly and so forth, he's done, done drawing, so... Um, nice. Yeah, and he and he captured he captured Mr. Cleveland, amazingly. Love it. I couldn't. I, I, it's just one of those things. A really good. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Um, finding an artist that can take your muddled thoughts and turn them into a picture that surpassed even what you had imagined is is a, is a rare thing. And I've been fortunate to work with two excellent um, artists, Vin Ganapathy, who worked on um, Victoria, and um, PJ McQuaid, who worked on on Faith um, both excellent at taking my garbled ideas and turning them into something fantastic. So, so yeah, for fledgling uh, book writers, I suppose, um, it's worthwhile shopping around to get a good, um, artist for myself, at least. Um, sometimes people go with art last. Um, but I've found that for myself, having a solid idea about where you want to go and then getting someone to draw some pictures really, um, helps to solidify your ideas and give you, gives me at least the impetus for going on and, and you know finishing the book and getting it out there so people can uh people can see it so a little bit off topic but uh, but there you go that was uh that's a little blurb about faith uh hazardgaming.com check it out um so we were talking about uh, cons and why it is that um con games have a certain amount of mojo that um that your regular weekly game has even though it takes a similar uh a similar period we've talked about that before but for those that maybe aren't fortunate enough to be able to get to uh to cons and stuff we thought we'd try and sort of sprinkle in amongst talk about what you might do to put a con together um with some talk about what sort of games might be good for cons the sort of things you might be able to to do for your uh for your home game as i say it's it's not brand new territory but perhaps a slightly different perspective um now that we've got people that are running well you've run cons i am running a Con at some stage in the future. So, what do you reckon to that, Sean? I don't know. Hey with it's already had his opinion. That's right. All
2: right. Uh, so the question is, uh, what makes Con games uh, stand out in particular? What makes them uh, that much more exciting or special than your than your weekly game? What mm. is that? Is that your question? Or yeah, what? yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the sort of things you might be able to do if you're putting a game together that you might like to keep in mind as being some uh, some special source to uh, achieve the good kind of memorable Con game.
2: Yeah, well, uh, for me, some of the uh, major criteria is uh, make the game be all about um, that particular con game. Um, I it, Every time I've sat down in a game where someone's like, this is part seven of a 32-part uh, game, <laughs> I immediately lose interest because I think that the, the – um, that the GM is less interested in this particular game and more interested in a long story arc, and I in, in there, invariably get compared to the last player who played my character in the last game, who did some awesome thing with my yeah. character in the last game that I could care less about. Um, <laughs> and that speaks not just to um, the continuing of somebody else's legacy, but also to um, the the sense that uh, that what really matters is what's happening here. And so yeah. the focus should be on uh you know what's happening in the con game. And that's where I think yeah. con games often differ from weekly games. The weekly games kind of just pick up wherever you left off. Whereas mm. con games start with a strong um yeah. impetus, a strong impetus yeah. to action, like some big yeah. bad thing just happened. Yeah. You know, you're on the Jedi Council and some yeah. Sith Lords just attack and abducted the High Council, like, oh shit, that's a big deal, right?
0: That's right, yeah. Yeah. Like you say, uh, an instantaneous call to action is uh is is important right or and uh yeah and that's i guess that's what would so if you were going to write a blurb for a con game how would you um make it punchy enough to catch people but not um give away the essence of the of the big event that, that happens at the start to sort of like spin it going Or would you like say this happens um yeah. come see what happens next
2: I, I'm inclined to tell you like one sentence or two about the setting that makes it exciting. Like it, in steampunk Final Fantasy Madness, uh, the princess is stolen. <laughs> you know, like, I want to play the game.
0: Right, <laughs> Final think, Fantasy Madness.
2: Yeah, I think if you give somebody a little like tiny, tiny bit of tiny blurb about the setting that yeah, just references things they know, I think yeah. um, you should never uh, in a in a description. You should never reference arcane or obscure um, setting elements. Um, You use generic things in the game itself. If you're like, we're running a Dresden Files game, um, and uh, that's set in the Dresdenverse, and you have a bunch of players that like have never heard of Mm. Terry Dresden, they just signed up because it was, I don't know, because they liked they liked you as a GM, or they liked, uh, uh, or they heard it was a good game then I think it's – you have to kind of gauge how much uh, setting you want to delve into. I'm not inclined to do a ton, but uh, in the description, I think you want to keep it as um, uh, approachable as possible.
0: Right. So do you have more leeway if you're at, say, Gen Con?
2: Uh, As Gen Con as compared to what?
0: Well, for example, if you're at Gen Con and you've got, say, 50,000 attendees, can you be super specific or would you still well-advised to keep things more general?
2: Oh, right, because there's so many people that
0: right. – yeah, I think that's that's a good point.
2: I think that if you were running a Gen Con – although even that, like I ran a Fate Core game and people were all excited to play Fate Core, but they had, they knew nothing about it at all. They just knew it was a new system. Right. So I had six players in it that had no idea how any of the mechanics worked. Um, right. uh they, it was also set in the Dawning Star setting. I was running this for somebody else who couldn't make it, and right. they knew nothing about Dawning Star, which is good because I knew nothing about Dawning Star either. I was <laughs> right,
0: well, <laughs> And at the end, the people in the game knew nothing about it as well. They knew sort of a version of Dawning Star, but uh... it, was, it was your Dawning Star. That's,
2: <laughs> that's what right. was. One of the first things somebody did was ask if people carried guns, and I was like, I don't know. You tell me. And he made a lore roll, and he succeeded, and and the aspect he nice. created was everybody's packing. And I was like, awesome. That's totally our game now. Like it's the Wild Wild west of science fiction. Right. So right, right. perfect. Cool. Um, but to to your point, um I think you can get away with it uh, simply because you have the mass, but I I don't I think it's being lazy and it's bad practice. I would say mm. still stick with yeah. uh, this the system will tell people certain things if they're familiar with the system if you're playing some kind of less uh well-known system. That's right. going to that's going to tell them certain things um and you could certainly hint at it, but I would keep it general.
0: Right. So um, while we're talking about um, about other cons, other than big, bad Con, we're going to get to a big blurb about that in a sec, but let's uh, just go on with a couple of things first. Um, first thing, uh, what was PAX? What happened at PAX? Because I sort of tried to read through. Now, PAX is um, Penny Arcade Expo. Ex- Expo. Expo. Um, yeah. And I saw a bunch of things from, there from people that I – um like and, and respect jeremy tidwell who i played uh which, the Road to lindisfarne with at big band con last year and has been on the show a couple of times i couldn't i didn't quite have the um the wherewithal to get that um get to the bottom of what had happened but um it might be worthwhile us discussing it here as it relates to the, well maybe you should say what it's about for i sort sorry of to try to segue into some sort of larger picture
2: um all right uh, i probably have a version i've heard sean's probably got a version he's heard well, that's good. yeah that's
0: maybe between the three of us we can uh, we can get to the bottom of it
2: well Sean, you want to give your version
0: i i should point out i wasn't there
1: this year so anything that i say is going to be hearsay
0: well that's the best uh, type of thing to get angry about because we <laughs> get angry about something that didn't actually happen yeah it's we can do some assumption journalism it's, uh, it's like being uh, anchor on Fox News.
1: Uh, <laughs> political? So, uh, so, Penny Arcade, Gabe, but one of the, it, the artists that draws the comic, is well known for uh, not only putting his foot in his mouth, um, but he, he was, like many of us, bullied uh, as a child. Uh, and, and he gets, uh, he gets very defensive when he's, when he's criticized about things that he says, Right. and rather than, uh, taking the moment to, 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 think about, you know, what he should do, uh, he, he does what, what I, I, I tend to do too, which is throw your fists in the air and yell fuck you at, at Whoever's saying things and puts his foot in his mouth, and goddamn, who's going to get caught on fire that he's going to start to burn everything down? Uh, so multiple times, uh, jokes that he's he's put into his comics have, have gotten have gotten criticized for for uh, one reason or another. Uh, sometimes, not even relating to to what the actual joke was about. Uh, and in an interview at Max he got asked about something like what do you regret uh about things that have happened in the past and he he brought up a particular joke the uh, the dick Wolves joke which i'm not going to even attempt to delve into No the, the what
0: joke sorry there you're a little bit garbled and i'm sure that's is here in the garble as well but yeah i am here
2: in the garble the, too it's a uh, little, it's the dick wolfs joke yeah the dick okay. wolfs joke
0: uh, and, and from what I
1: understand, in the course of the interview, he, he basically said, you know, I I regret the, the Dick Bulls thing, the reaction to it, putting the merch up, taking it down, the whole thing, uh, which, of course, got, got blown into I regret taking the Dick Bulls merchandise down oh, uh, right, okay. because that was the thing that people were upset about that was there in the first place, and so it turned into yet another I hate Penny Arcade. Yeah. hate on Twitter. Uh, <clears throat> which is, I mean, it's almost a weekly occurrence, so I've, <laughs> I've started bowing out of the echo chamber
0: of that. Yeah. So what is a dick wolf, Sean? Now tell me about these dick wolves that there are.
2: So there was a joke a, a long time ago, and I don't know if you're familiar with World of Warcraft, um, but if- but I assume that this is... I mean, this reminded me of a World of Warcraft uh, scenario, and I'm, I, I'm certain that this is was, was from WoW, but I imagine a lot of other MMOs have the same thing. And uh, the premise is that they tell you, like, go do this five times, and in one of them might be like, go free five slaves. But um, because there's tons of people all showing up, they'll often be like 30 slaves sitting around. And um, mechanically speaking, the game prevents you from doing more than – freeing more than five slaves because uh, it basically wants to create this like ambiance that this area is always full of slaves. In fact, after you free those five, like five – like 30 seconds later or two minutes later or five minutes later, they'll just reappear for someone else to come free. Right. Um, and so there's this jo- the the joke was made that uh, that this slave is like oh please please free me and the the hero is like look man I got a quest to free five slaves that's what I'm doing I'm freeing five slaves he's like but every night we're raped to we're raped to sleep by dick wolves please free us and right. you know and the guy's totally callous doesn't care and right. as as I understand it the joke was meant to be about the complete like absurd morality of World of Warcraft characters, like that they yeah. would just be like, "Oh, I free five people and fuck you to all you other thirty, like right, right, you're right, not right. my problem." And when, when mechanically speaking, the game actually, the game interface actually prevents you from doing anything about the others. Like you, you could, you could kill all the dick wolves or whatever was around, but like they would just keep <laughs> are they dick wolves or are they no, 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 no? It
1: was, <laughs> it was there to illustrate how ridiculous that whole thing was. Like, right. like the
0: dick wolves thing was not the point of the joke. So I don't have to worry about dick Wolves then. No, no. no Am I go out in the wilderness and only carry a special dick Wolf gun.
2: It, it's no, you. Well, unless it's for pe- packs. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so uh, so they, they were they were really just, as as, as I understand it, they're really just uh, making up a, what they thought was a hilarious uh, kind of situation where the the callous adventure was just ig- completely ignoring the plight of the quest creature. Um, of, and a lot of people responded saying, hey, there's a lot of people who have been raped and sexually abused, and treating uh, rape as part of your humor is really bad form. Right. And I think everybody, I mean, I think Gabe included agrees that the right thing to have done right now, then would have been like, say, you're right, sorry, we were, you know, that was insensitive, our bad. Mm. And I think if that had happened. I don't know. They probably would have still gotten some haters, but it would have fizzled out. Right. But right. instead, they responded with a, another comic that said, "We apologize in a very, very mocking way," and right. it was, um, and right. they continued to apologize in mocking, sarcastic ways. Right. Um, and it just so that you know that 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 escalated online, and then eventually they did what I think was the biggest snafu, which is they made Dick Wolves t-shirts. And Dick Wolf's right. merchandise right. and that's really when it just like, as far as I can tell, there's no backing down at this point. Um, right. They did pull the merchandise, and what Sean was referring to was the fact that he Gabe said, you know one of the things I regret was pulling the merch, but that was part of a larger conversation. Right. And I think the biggest problem is that the guys can't just apologize and let it lie. They always kind yeah. of apologize and equivocate or apologize and say, We're sorry we hurt your feelings. We're sorry mm-hmm. you're so sensitive about these issues. We're sorry, you know, and and, yeah. and it just seems like the guys can't quite just get around to saying like, Yeah, that was inappropriate. Even if in their hearts they feel like, you know, we still think it was funny and we still think you have a sense of humor, if they could just get out a straight apology without any kind of hitches or equivocations, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it could die. But it, it's always – there's always a little backlash because right. they never seem to be completely earnest. And maybe at this point, there's no way for them to be earnest enough. Like I don't know if they could really have anybody truly believe – or not have anybody but have the public at large truly believe them being earnest because it's gone back and forth so many times. Right. Uh, I just feel like they need to shut up about it. <laughs> and, like, and that was – I think the mistake was bringing it up during the interview.
0: Right. And uh-huh. so what does that mean for PAX? Because Jeremy Tudwell always spoke very far, very um positively about PAX as a as a um as a convention. And what does that mean for does it mean anything for PAX? Or is like is it has it superseded those those dudes and all that's left of them as the as the name, or is he actually gonna just tear the whole thing down and not have any more?
1: No. No, I don't think it'll do a damn thing to PAX. I don't think yeah. it's going to reduce the numbers of people that go there and despite everything, like having having been there multiple times, you know, I it's there I, I felt I felt and and uh, a lot of people I know you know have felt less comfortable at places like Gen Con and have PAX. Like I, I I think that there is a a a a vocal group of people who won't participate in PAX and that's cool and that's their choice. And I but- but i don 't think that it, that ultimately it 's going to to make a make a difference you know publicly i think I think I would hope that they would rethink some of their not even their policies their policies are pretty good yeah uh, but it, it 's really one guy that, that can 't not put his foot in his mouth and get angry when he gets criticized right. uh, and i i guess i i <laughs> I react the same way when people criticize me right. so.
0: I'm <laughs> probably a little yeah. more forgiving than other people are. Right, right. Yeah, um, I... so, so thinking along those lines then um, and mm. um, the sort of context for which the, the Dick Wolves joke got uh, got them in trouble, um, one of the things that I carried over um, from uh, Big Bad Con, and you can just read stole. Um, as opposed to carried over, um, was your um, was the code of conduct and mm-hmm. an over um, directly direct, directly addressing the fact that, in your opinion, not opinion, sorry, uh, your desire as the con um, coordinator um, is that it be inclusive for everybody. And so you you wrote your code of conduct to to reflect that, and I uh, copy and pasted and, and changed a couple of the the nuances so that it sounded more like me, but maintain that essential um uh, the essential message. Um is it's worth something... noting that go I'm ahead.
2: Sorry. It's worth noting that I copy and pasted that from yeah, several. I was businesses. gonna give
0: you the opportunity because I didn't actually know where that where that came from, but um but I mean it's good good advice all round. But the the essence of it um was you know we want the convention to be um inclusive and in anything that you do that reduces somebody else's enjoyment for whatever reason. Um, will not be tolerated. But you led the whole piece with a bit about um, harassment for uh, people at conventions. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you would be happy to, um, first of all, talk about your feelings about the Code of Conduct, a little bit about um, as they relate to Big Bad Con and the environment that you want to create, and then maybe what inspired you to, to put that on Front Street for Big Bad Con.
2: Well, for me, the, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that in the first two years, I haven't had any incidents, uh, reported to me of, uh, harassment, uh, or discrimination. Um, part of that is the size of the con, uh, that, um, you know, everybody's kind of in view of each other. Um, there's not a lot of areas, uh, where there's not a lot of visibility, um, and also that you know, I know a good, at least last year, I think I knew 85% of the people mm-hmm. that were attending, you know, it was, other than a lot of people knew each other. Yes. Um, and so a lot of these people were already friends or acquaintances or a game together right. and they had positive relationships with each other. Yeah. Um, also the con is very focused on doing like a particular thing, which is role-playing yes. and, you know, uh, part of where I think some of that harassment and discrimination comes from is when it's like my kind of fun is not like your kind of fun so Mm. in order for me to validate my kind of fun i'm going to tease your kind of fun so if we have cosplayers and we have wargamer miniature players like they may not kind of have very much that they see in common with each other and be feel i don't know threatened by the other one as a gamer or annoyed or whatever but they can see the other one as an other yes yes Big bad is all role-playing and LARPs, and there's some Mm. division between tabletop RPGs and LARPs. I mean, there's definitely, like, I think tabletop players have some uh, preconceived ideas about LARPers and the other way around. Mm. But, like, I've never seen that escalate as to anything beyond... Like anything where it actually involves harassment or discrimination, yes, like yeah, I, absolutely, I've heard, you know, so so so. I mean, it's kind of you know, part of it is that the con is very focused on on one thing, so I'd never seen that, but also I don't know that that means it didn't happen. Like, of course, of course, it gets entirely possible that it has happened and someone just didn't report it because they didn't feel like it was a big enough deal or they didn't feel like there was provisions mm. in place to, nice. to to deal with it. And given that I have heard of so many instances of it happening at other cons, it seemed like um, it, was very, it was a good idea to put it out there out in the front to be like, hey, if this happens to you, let us know. Like, it is yeah, not right. OK if it's... it, ha- you know, we'll do something about it. Don't be afraid to speak up so that was right. kind of why i put it there it was more less to say don't do this because i feel like that the the culture already doesn't support doing this but more to say like yes. this isn't going to happen here and if it does happen here let us know because we won't we're not you know
0: we won't right. Right. it. yeah and that was that was one of the big things for uh for me as well i want to be sure that the, the um intrigue um is as inclusive as yours uh as yours is And and for the first little bit i i had Parity of, of guys and girls for the first, I don't know, for the first couple of weeks or so. I think it's got a little bit, it's gone more towards guys now, which I anticipated would happen eventually anyway. But we've got some really um, interested ladies, um, women, uh, girls, um, some of them that haven't played for, some of them that have. Um, and I'm fortunate to have a lady who's uh, quite high, pro- high profile um, in media here in, in Edmonton who's on board and is. Uh, interested in, in, in playing and, and so forth so um that also encouraged me to you know get it get it right out and say like this is the type of environment we're trying to uh we're trying to foster um, because yeah. she was because she carries a big stick um and has a wide reach um it was important before she was prepared to um promote it as a place that would be good for people that follow her on twitter and, and facebook and, and in the media uh to go then and she needed to know you know what the what the field was and um, I think that for 99% of the people reading the Code of Conduct, um, or maybe 99% of the people maybe don't even need to read the Code of Conduct because it's basic human, you know, like be a human being, you know, be a, be a regular person and, and uh, keep these things in mind. But um, I, like you say, it's worth having it right out there so people would not only know that it's not acceptable, but what steps can be taken should you discover that that's the sort of thing that's happening to you.
2: Yeah. And and although the code of conduct is written very uh, broadly, mm. um, I, my experience is that it is um, that the 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 90 percent of the application has to deal with uh, harassment of women. I mean that's mm. that that's that's the stories that I hear about. Um, I think there's also racism present. I think there's also exclusion yeah. um, of other kinds. But that's you know I I don't want to say. Um, you know, we won't tolerate sexual harassment of women because I feel like that's too focused. But I, mm. but that was the specific thing in mind that yeah. I had when yeah. writing. But that's like what I've seen the most instances of.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, you've got to go. You've got to um, a, a, sort of direct yourself at the at the biggest at the biggest problem. And, and um, like that's not to diminish the other the other issues associated with gaming. But if we want to have any kind of uh, chance of making the hobby grow. Um, and gather people from all um, walks of life, um, so to speak. Now we need to make sure that everybody feels um, feels okay there, and making sure that 50% of the population feels okay there is a probably a good place to start.
2: Yeah, it yeah. seems smart
0: to me. <laughs> that seems, seems fair enough. Okay, well, we've started to talk about Big Bad Concert. Give us the um, give us the lowdown, Sean, for anybody that hasn't uh, that hasn't tuned in before, or or perhaps has not not attended before. Things they need to know and what they need to do.
2: Sure. Uh, so, Big Bad Con is happening uh, in a few, just a few weeks, October fourth to the sixth. Um, it is going to be the largest uh, of the of the cons that I've that I've done. I mean, it's it's grown since last year. Um, we, uh, if you're if you're interested in attending or. The, the, the brief pitch about it for anyone who hasn't heard—I think everyone's heard about it on your show, Daniel. But if you're first, if you're tuning into Petty Red for the first time, Big Bad is an RPG-focused con. Uh, it it highlights indie and story games, um, and there are about 140 on the roster right now, maybe 145. I've got uh, several game designers running their own games, but uh, primarily it's just a lot of excellent GMs. Um, I've been going to cons for for, uh, for quite a while, and I've kind of weeded out um, GMs I think are just really phenomenal caliber and uh, invited them, and they're, they're running games at Big Bad. Um, it is primarily RPGs, although we also have a LARP track. Um, the con is a charity event. It supports Doctors Without Borders, uh, the Alameda County Community Food Bank, and Child's Play. Uh, in fact, we are we just put up a CrowdRise fundraiser for the Wolf Chase. So if uh, you're interested in running at 7 a.m. Uh, on Sunday, a uh, 5K, then you're welcome to do that. Uh, if you're interested in, in giving us some money that'll go directly to Doctors Without Borders, uh, for for doing that run, we will gladly accept that uh, as well. It's under uh, crowdrise.com forward slash wolfchase2013, right. and uh, you can see more about that on the website Um, I just got some more hotel rooms in the block. Uh, I feel pretty good. I'm pretty excited that um, I have to keep harassing the hotel to give me more space, which is awesome. Um, And I just secured a food truck to be there on Saturday off-site. Oh,
0: well played, well played. How did you manage that?
2: Uh, I talked to a million people because most of them said, no, we won't do it unless, you know, the hotel lets us on or unless you make dirt an lot. arrangement and there's a dirt lot right next to the hotel, like yes. right next to the hotel. Yes. And I just yes. kept asking people I'm like, hey, will you just drive up on the curb and park in the dirt lot? Yeah, yeah. And uh, most folks wouldn't go big surprise um but
0: uh is it a surprise the, the food truck think about it carefully before you give away the nature of the food truck in case you'd like there to be a surprise but um so that uh so that's impressive um that that you've managed to sort of like keep on keep on growing it and keep on uh filling it with people that uh um, they're going to bring that are going to bring awesome games do you have a in your mind is that is there a limit to the size you'll have big bad con like is it important to you to to know 85 percent of people or to have only one degree of separation between you and 100 percent of the people
2: uh that's a really good question it's one i keep asking myself because as i see it the con has exceeded the hotel's capacity at this point um i think we're going to be squeezed this year it's going to be fine like there's enough rooms um mm. there are enough games but uh, the con filled up very, very, like a lot of games filled up very, very fast this year, uh, faster than last year, which I thought was really fast. Uh, within minutes, uh, a huge portion of the games were full. And uh, I did what I did last year, which was like got a lot more games submitted. I intentionally left some open spaces thinking this might happen, and so I filled in with the games that people wanted um and that's gone well. Uh more people have signed up for those and games on demand I think is going to be very strong this year as well. But um I, in terms of physical space and food, um yeah, I'm I'm concerned that the con is, that the the venue is as its capacity. So my thought then is if I grow next year, do I just grow incrementally? as I have um or do I expand the con significantly. A lot of people ask to ask to add board games, ask to have card games. If I went to a much larger venue, that would potentially be possible. It's just not in the current space. But then that really mm. is going to create a divide. Like I yeah like I I will not be able to keep that eighty five percent knowing yeah. people um if I do that, it's gonna it's gonna get to the point where it's it is gonna there's gonna it's gonna be less personal and yeah. uh, I'm that really torn. Right. Yeah. Because the choice is either artificially constrain the con and reduce the, like limit the number of people who can sign up mm-hmm. and make it a thing make it a an event that you have to sign up for earlier you're not gonna get into. Yeah. Um and then it creates issues of being elit- elitist yeah, and yeah. you know like oh I, yeah. the cool kids are getting in and da da da. Or grow it and stuff, you know, and acknowledge that it means it's going to be less,
0: a less personal event, less boutique event. So, um, and more they're... time for you too, because it's time, it's time consuming. I know that for myself today, every moment that I wasn't like doing my job, I was doing con type stuff, like yeah. literally every, every moment. Um, and so consequently, as it grows, because it's, I mean, let's not, beat around the bush there's no money in it um yeah if you particularly if you have a charity component and so then it really is you know it really is a labor of love and as a like anything that's a labor of love you know children included you know you want to you want the best for those labors of love and so that's a tough decision to make right like and, and if you have you still still up in the air for you or are you i mean if you go yeah. to a bigger con can you can you handle it do you have enough hours in the day to, to give to everybody around you? Uh,
2: I don't know. I mean a lot of it just depends on uh, the venues that I can find because, you know, you don't magically get a space that fits what you want. You fit your event to the spaces you can find. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at several of the venues and if the venues that I find that are open to me – only allow much larger, like they're going to require a 2,000-square-foot a, a boardroom to be filled, then I'm going to want to put board games in that boardroom, right? I'm not going to want to put RPGs in there because it's too noisy. You so um, so a lot of it has to do with the physical space I'm finding and how flexible they are. Um, one of the locations I'm looking at is the same place that uh, Dundercon is held, and the big attraction I have is that it's right next to a big shopping center with a ton of restaurants right and so I never will have to deal with food as an issue at the con because I can always go you can walk right around the corner and there's tons of food available yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the downside of that con is that it's not or that uh, that hotel is that it's not right next to the airport like big like the Hilton is so people coming in from a distance are gonna have to figure a way to get out there and um, and the spaces are much larger in general. So they mm-hmm. do have some smaller spaces, but not as many. So it's it's really a toss-up. Um, and, uh, again, a lot of the decision to do that is is gonna be just based on what I can do um, and whether I'm willing to say, oh, I'm going to stick with this venue even though the food situation frustrates me, and I will have to artificially constrain the con to do mm-hmm. it. And that's, those are, it's our choice either way. And I haven't made up my mind because yeah, yeah. I, cause I don't really know what all the options are yet. Like until I actually have them all in front of me, I'm not going to make a choice.
0: Mm, mm. So a lot of, uh, so still time consuming there, right? I mean, that's the, yeah, yeah, it's going to be, <laughs> yeah, it's for it's, it's full of love and I really appreciate everything that you've put into it. It certainly inspired me to, to put the convention that I'm running, um, together. But aside from that, it, it really is, you know, the creme de la creme of of uh, of conventions at least as far as i'm i'm concerned i get to see i mean get to see friends is, is a big part of it but also just the atmosphere that you've created so how off do you if you can maintain that with a bigger venue then go for it if you can't you know i don't know man yeah. i know not tough
2: well, and the highlight this year, the creme de la creme de la creme, uh, of <laughs>
0: oh, is going well
2: well to be Sean Hayworth's parsley game. Uh, oh yeah, yeah that right. he'll be running at midnight on Saturday. Yeah, thank
0: you very much yeah. for that heartfelt and personal uh, missive that you you fired off to me this Sean. You really, you really hit me right here. It was uh,
2: <laughs> Daniel. I would, I would really like you to be there.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> I, would, I, I think you should do that, Daniel.
0: Dear, one extra space, Daniel. Uh, <laughs>
2: Uh, it, 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 yes, uh, I will cop to the fact that that was a mail merge. Uh, no, it was not sent to everybody. Uh, <laughs> it, it really was not. So um, you didn't,
0: but you didn't CC yourself, did?
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, that was, I was. Uh, uh, this is going on air, so it's uh, <laughs> a little bit awkward. But uh, that was a very personal invite. Uh, I'm, I'm very much hoping that you uh, that you can make it to the event. Well, as uh,
0: I said, t- Sean, you you touched me. Your your uh, your plea really yeah, you know, yeah really struck a chord with me, and I wouldn't like to see Sean uh, hey with with any fewer than five thousand people in his parsley game. So I, I, I don't, don't say things like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the great thing is that uh, not all five thousand would get to go, nor could mm. they fit in the room. But yeah. theoretically, there's no problem with that uh, scenario. Or...
1: That, right. that is true with five thousand people. that... Playing partially, that would just mean that I got to be a dick to 5,000 people all at once.
0: (laughs) Which does have a certain appeal, surely. It it does. It does.
2: Um, I've had a lot of people ask me about it, and I keep telling everyone that it's got a 20-second learning curve. Um, Mm. The moment you walk in and watch somebody play a turn, which consists of saying one direction, like like examine Apple, then Mm. uh, you understand how the game works. Yeah, pretty much
0: okay so, we're talking about steep learning curves and let's just, uh, sort of drift back into uh more general territory um yeah. how, what do you feel about the right system for a um for a convention game
2: well um in general i uh in general my my experience with um like the the average pickup and just like walk into a game player like a games on demand player is that having a light system is um really beneficial because a a system like victoria or like faith uh that essentially walks you through it or um uh or or use very very simple dice mechanics uh, l- removes the time involved in teaching the system from yeah. the game. And since time is a very precious commodity in a, in a con slot, yeah. um that I think has some strengths. Mm. That said, uh, I ran Torchbearer Gen Con, which is not a simple game at all. Mm. Um, and people loved it. And they didn't get very far, but they really enjoyed it. And I think what they really experienced was this was a demo rather yeah. than this was a game. and so um my inclination is if you want to run a full-fledged game you know that's going to have a some sort of plot arc start to finish then Mm -hmm. stick with Mm -hmm. a light system but if you are really excited about a system then run it and run it with the expectation that you're demoing it and people are going to see as much of the system as they can Mm -hmm. um some very very well-tuned scenarios like the sword for burning wheel allow you to tell do both where yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's set up where it's like, well, we're going to have one major conflict and then the game's going to be over. And so this whole thing runs in two hours and you get to teach somebody a conflict system. But it's right. because it's set around one conflict and that's yes. basically the end of the story and the end of the right. demo as well.
0: Hmm. Right. Thoughts, Sean Hayworth? Being more of a rules guy than perhaps Sean and or myself?
1: Uh, actually, I actually agree with everything that Sean said. Uh, and, and I tend to run, like, like I said, I tend to run more technical systems uh, than you like, might see in, in games on demand. Uh, but I also tend to pick long slots. Both of my games at Big Bad Gone are running in six-hour slots. Uh, and I will do my best to fill six hours of, of, of content. Uh, I do that so that I can make sure to, to get everything that I want in the, in the game. Uh, But I also try and pick systems that you can teach fairly well as you go. Uh, If there's one thing that makes me want to fall asleep or walk away from the table is uh, somebody explaining to me how the game is played.
0: Like
2: without uh, playing?
1: Yeah, without without playing. The only thing worse than somebody trying to explain to me what the mechanics of the game are beyond this is how you roll dice. Because I'm okay with that you know, when we get to dice rolling, you know, you'll roll some dice and look for fours. That's, that, that's simple enough. And anything beyond that, you know, we can explain as they come up. Yep. If, if somebody tries to tell me, you know, all right, so if you're going through, you know, hard terrain, it costs
2: two movement. Uh this is important well, information, Hey
1: That's right. That's right. And and you know there's a difference between being pushed and being slid. Uh and they have not handled uh, That's my pushed and yet.
2: pulled, my friend. I am sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I
1: I thought sliding was another thing.
2: Oh, you know, you're right. You're right. That's sliding is, man. That's true. Um. <laughs>
0: Uh, that sounds that, that like that sounds like a, sounds like a, a game from Hell already to me. Um,
2: so, <laughs> you you haven't played four E? Yeah, yeah. that's td 4 right there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're we're not making up a system here. I'm just <laughs> I'm just teasing Sean for the fun of it, but he he is he is articulating something that is uh, in existence.
1: Yeah, the only thing worse than that is somebody trying to explain me the setting, uh, yeah. and and going through all the proper nouns. Uh, don't don't go through all the proper nouns at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, keep things simple, and you know, e- even if you're playing a system with a lot of bits and pieces to it, generally something that has a really strong central mechanic that you can, that's really easy to grasp, like the basics of, and then expand from there. I think is is totally fine if you give yourself enough time to do it, right. and the people like know that they're sitting in for, for something like that.
0: Right, yeah. so clearly defined expectations right off the bat um, are are important, but how can you convey that in a in a summary that's going to actually catch people and make them want to play?
2: Um, I think it's mostly down. It mostly comes down to the uh, the game system itself. I mean, I think if someone sees Burning Wheel, um, uh, if someone sees Eclipse Phase, um, if someone sees D and E. Um, those are all technical for different reasons, um, and uh, a lot of the times those are systems that have a they, – they're kind of already sell themselves because people – they're a little bit self-selecting because people are yes. looking for that particular system either because they huh. like it or because they've heard something about it and they want to play it. I think right. you could say this is a technical game. Rules will be taught. Beginners welcome. I think that's yeah. a, a short that's right. way to put that. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, but I think also the system really kind of, uh, to one degree or another, weeds people out.
0: Right. Okay. Cool. Right. Well, we were, uh, we're coming up on on an hour here, so to uh, to round out um, our uh, our episode, um, I was wondering if we might go um, go a little bit back to um, you know the sort of what makes a good con game territory, and with that. The sort of thing that you might want to consider as a uh, as a starting point um, for putting a game together. Like, um, do for example, let's do a few like sort of smaller questions. Pre generated, not pre generated characters.
2: Um, pre generated, if you have a if you have a if character, com, if character creation is a complex and uh, in time involved uh, situation, or if you have a particularly small slot. Um, uh, if if it's uh, possible half-baked characters that are mostly pre-generated where the players can put on the finishing touches is the next sort of step um, which I think is also if, if it fits within the game or the game allows for that is, is fantastic and then uh, characters created at the table I think is great for games where that's kind of part of the game and that's part of the fun and it's relatively quick and you're not worried that that's going to eat into a ton of the game time, and also where there's no re- limited resource like, oh, we're all going to make characters and you need the book, but I only have one copy of the book, so now we're going to have five people twiddling their thumbs while one person looks at the book. So all the resources for making a character, like, say, any of the Apocalypse World games where the, you get a playbook and that just says, fill in the dots. You know, you are creating your character, but all the rules to do that are on the sheet you have.
0: Right, right, that's, absolutely.
2: That's my take
0: so sean hayworth how much do you have to defend your uh, rules how how pliable are the rules when you're running a con game how much do you have to protect a game that you love uh i tend to be
1: more lenient in a con scenario than i do normally but on the other hand i'm usually in a position where i'm teaching the rules so i have i have the ability to uh to, to sort of see rules as I see that, like, as they should be adjudicated. Like, if that, make, if, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, if, if you if you do it right to begin with, then you don't have to defend your rules calls. Uh, but on
0: the other hand... Sean
2: always gets it right.
1: I No, I almost <laughs> never always get it right. I there are two right.
0: ways to do everything. There's uh, Sean Hayworth's way and the wrong way.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh
1: there's. Uh, you don't have enough time to argue with people. Like if you if you sit there and argue with people, it's not going to be fun for anybody. Right. Uh, it's it's one thing if if you you know if you're clarifying something and it takes a little bit of extra time. Like if if you explain something in a way that's unclear. Uh, but, man, don't don't waste time trying to get it right.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: It's and and. It, usually you have a lot of opportunity to make sure that that's not something that's going to be an issue. to get. Yeah.
2: And and I think experience is your best teacher. Mm-hmm. Everyone at the table is going to have more fun. Uh, I think if you, um, if you listen to what the player's concerns are, uh, adjust accordingly to what feels right to you in the game, move on. And then next time you're like, dude, I got to learn those rules so that when it comes up, there's no ambiguity. Because yeah. I think as long as expectations are set, um, and people understand what they're going into; it's not a problem. It's when you realize after the dice have hit the table, like, "Oh snap, that totally means you're screwed." Yeah. Then a player can understandably and justifiably be very frustrated. And Burning yeah. Wheel is, as an example, as a game, uh, a lot of games use stake setting, but you know. Um, uh, either whether the stakes are set explicitly where you say like, okay, if you fail to do this thing, your your sword breaks against his armor and he knocks you to the ground and you've been defeated. Um if you you know if you succeed in the role then you know you got him and uh and, and are victorious. And so you know explicitly or if there's just an implicit stakes like if you fail this role then your life's gonna get complicated and you're gonna suffer some consequences and you know we'll see what those are. Um but uh but um, if if people know that that's what's that that's what's going on, I think it's much easier. But if you kind of don't realize it and they roll yeah. and you're like, oh, after right. the fact, tell them yep. something they weren't expecting, that's where I think you really run into a lot of uh, player frustration.
0: Okay, yeah. so flipping it on you then, Sean Hayworth. House rules, okay, not okay at a con. Uh, it depends on the game. Uh, if like Sean was talking about games that are that
1: are at least partly demos. Right. Uh, and, if, and if you're playing it, you know, if you're if you're there to showcase a system, don't want to use house rules, right? Because people are coming in to see what the system is like. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, and a lot of people will be like, you know, they'll sign up for a game and be like, I've heard a lot of stuff about this. I've never played it. And if you go, well, I'm going to show you how to play this game, but I'm going to show you how to play this game with all of these weird additions that I've made. Right. Right. Uh, you know that's that's not that's not particularly helpful. Uh, on the on the other hand, if you have the option to be like, this is the game that is, you know, it's this with, with some modifications. If they if they know coming in that they're not playing the stock game, I think you're fine. Right. Uh, I don't I don't I don't see any any problem with that. I right. mean, r- run the game that you want to run. Run the game okay. that you think is going to be fun for you to run and fun for people to play.
0: Right, yeah. well, that zig nicely to my question. This one I'm going to direct to Sean Hayworth, uh, sorry, Sean Nittner, who is, is running a con. Um, when you're running a game at a con, are you a host?
2: It's a very good question. Um, I know one GM, uh, Todd Furler, who, before his games start, will inform all the players of where all the emergency exits to the building are, He will tell everyone that um, – that while during the during the game he is responsible for their well-being and that he is uh, in charge of the event and has all the responsibilities thereof. And I think that's extremely responsible of Todd. I've never seen another GM do that, but I, uh, it stood out to me when he, when he uh, pointed this out that the convention looks to the GM as the person in charge of a game what? and should – something happen um that the convention is going to look to them first uh, an example would be if uh, if you're going to kick a player out of the game mm-hmm. because of inappropriate behavior like that's right. a real legitimate example rather than say up the burning building down which is right, right. certainly possible but not um a likely occurrence hopefully kicking a player out is not a likely occurrence either but uh i think the convention looks to the gm as the final arbiter of mm-hmm. that you know um and uh, based on my code of conduct, if somebody was acting inappropriate in a game, um, the the GM would be a resource. Certainly, con staff would be a resource. Yeah. So if a player was upset with another player in a game, and they were, they, they certainly could to tell the GM, like, hey, it's really bothering me. Uh, they could also go to another um, uh, any of the volunteers or any of the staff and, and address it. But it clearly sets up this sort of hierarchical relationship that the GM is – you know, ostensibly running the event and in charge of the event. Um, To what degree I really like that, I I don't know. I think that's just sort of something that's been grandfathered in. Like, Mm. there's so many games that are GM-less. There's so many games where, you know, it really comes down to just distributing authority. And traditional systems tend to distribute all the authority to the GM and say Mm. the GM does everything. And a lot of modern games... uh, Uh, even like traditional style games are, are getting away from that notion that everything Mm -hmm. rests on the GM shoulders. Um, and, and so I think that whole idea that like, they're the ones hosting the event is still true, but I think that's a legacy, uh, condition that has just been grandfathered in and, you know, it's, it's, we're waiting for, uh some better way to distribute that authority or okay. some more kind of evenly balanced way to distribute that authority but at the moment yes i feel very much that the gm is hosting the event
0: okay so twisting it just a little bit um let's say and we're going to talk we're going to pretend that uh, there's nothing offensive going on here whatsoever you're running a game um you're running for five people and they're having a great time and for you it's sucking <laughs>
2: yeah well here's
0: about this game they're having the best game of their lives uh
2: yeah i i've done this uh not all that long ago actually um i will not mention the game but um so i had a game where immediately i saw that there was uh i was i was jamming and i saw that there was a lot of joking racism just like haha let's let's make fun of the uh of the alien creature where we use alien in place of Um, every other kind of racist joke that we could make. So instead of it being a joke about black people or Irish people or Chinese people, it was about this alien, but like it was very thinly veiled. Right. And I totally did not feel comfortable and I was running the game. Um, And I addressed it at the table. I didn't want to like make everybody's feel guilty or miserable. I just said, Hey, Kate, we're all a group of, we're six white people sitting around a table. Let's be sensitive to like, let's consider the fact that like our super racist characters might reflect on us.
0: Yeah. 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 So,
2: and I noticed it like it, it, it definitely calmed down and I was, I was happy about that. But, um, but I, it was in that moment of discomfort, had they continued to do it, I would have stuck with it. You know, I would have been like, well, I got to suck it up because it's a convention game. I'm running this game. If they had, you know, if they had just continued to be offensive, um, I would have run it through its time and then been like, okay, well, you know, see you guys never. Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> what if it's not offensive though? What if it's just something you're like, you are know, like? These guys are picked on something, or girls or whatever, and they're like running with this giant, this fringe character, and these guys are having a blast. It's not offending that I'm like, this is of no interest to in me whatsoever. They just keep pounding away on this some aspect of the game which you have was the throwaway thing and you're like wow i'm gonna this is this is off the rails it's going right toward this sucksville for me
2: then that throwaway thing just became your plot yeah that that became like the exciting thing in the game um i have had a player that like i routinely just did not care about the things that that player cared about in a game and so i just and people – all my other players could see me do this. I was just like – it was like I was doing everything I could not to roll my eyes. But in games, I would just like give that player the thing they wanted in a game because right. it got them excited. And I'm like this is totally boring and not exciting to me. But it like – it thrills you every time it comes up. So here yep. we go again. Yeah, you're, doing right. your, yeah. you're doing your little story bit. You get to be Batman and yep. super badass and everybody just sucks and they all fall down in front of you. Yeah. And you're just the greatest thing ever. And then we cut over another character. And I just, I just did it because I knew it was what the player wanted. And I think, right. yeah, as a GM, um, in a con game particularly, I think that's your, you 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 do have that responsibility. In a in a campaign game, when it's with your friends, like screw that, you're a player too. You should be having fun. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's an important distinction. Um, and what if you're just getting a group together? Because I'm sort of thinking about uh, con games as a sort of a, a leaping off point for perhaps a group getting together, like a whole bunch of people. Like one of the things about Intrigue Con, I'm sort of, pushing is here's an opportunity for you to know, meet like i go on all the 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 personal sort of columns i can find around the place that talk about wanting to make friends that are into role playing or something like that and inviting those people along so it's possible a, a clump of those people will get together and then may go from there to uh to to running a game
2: uh well i've been talking a lot Hayworth you want to throw in your two cents uh I, I think it's I think it's awesome
1: if you can get a bunch of people that are that are close enough or or you know, clicking enough to, to play in a, a convention game and then be like, Hey, this was really awesome. I liked playing with you. Let's continue to do this thing. Uh I I've actually uh with with moving coming up, uh I'm moving to the town I grew up in, which is uh it spells culture with a k and uh <laughs> uh and, and i remember growing up as, as a nerd there so i am looking uh for ways to to sort of give people uh uh who who might be interested in gaming or or playing card games or whatever you know uh some kind of space to to, to get together and actually like let their geek flag fly mm. uh, and, and conventions are a great, great way of doing that. Uh, I think one of the advantages that you – or the, one of the things that you, can, uh, that you can do is to set up something similar to uh, something you'd run at a con as like an event, right? You know, hey, we didn't get to, to, to play, but I saw you at the, at the convention. Why don't we all like show up one day and play a game of Lady Blackbird? Uh, because it's all—it's all right there. It's a package deal, beginning to end. You run it in one session, and mm-hmm. and if it and if it goes well, then you can you know approach the subject of you know hey maybe we should uh, do this do this on a regular basis, and you can get you know either play a series of one shots or or you know a longer term you know campaign style paper or or whatever is going to work yes. for your group. Yeah. Uh, but but having that. You know, uh, approaching it like you would GMing a con game, uh, no. I, I I feel like helps. Yeah. Uh, because it because it, it makes everybody comfortable, right? I'm bad. Right. Like, you know, you you're coming off as the host rather than the the pointy hat where yeah know, GM. Right.
0: So will you go? Will you go with Burning Wheel? What will you run? Me? Yeah. Would... Like if you're getting these group of guys together, what will you? Ch- what these are people like? You know what? I like kind of like games that never role play before. What are you gonna run? I, I would ask them. I'd ask them what they were into. Like, I,
1: I, I know what I like to run. Uh, but if I'm just one person at,
0: at the game, I mean, I'm, I'm going to push for Burning Wheel. That's Yeah, that's, but Is, is role-playing that important to you? Is role-playing that important to you? That What if they said, we want to play... Um, GURPS. Your lead, okay, GURP, we wanna play, uh, GURPS. We want to play GURPS Vampire the Masquerade. It, um, uh,
1: then I would act like an adult and be like, hey... Uh, I'm really not into that to that game. Uh, maybe we can compromise.
0: Play? Where's no, your not enough to not role Enough to not role is Goops Vampire the Masquerade better than no role playing at all? No, no. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's better to not game than to, to do something that you're not going to have <laughs> fun. <left. laughs> never to have loved and there's, lost, and never to have loved at
1: all. There's there's no yet? point in 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 engaging in a hobby whose goal is ostensibly to have fun. <laughs> If you are not having fun, if you are not achieving the goal, you should not be doing it.
0: The long game, you've got to think of the long game, Sean. You've got to get in there with Vampire the Masquerade GURPS uh, version and then get him around to Burning Wheel. No. No, you don't. No? Yeah, I don't. You. you... No. no? No. Yeah.
2: No, I'm with Sean. I mean, if you find that uh, – and the other thing is that you might find that that same group really likes the same board games you like or yep. card games or something else. Like it doesn't say that you can't hang out with them. Um, it's fine to realize you're not compatible in every way with somebody. And I think like Sean's suggestion of running Lady Blackboard is also something else, self-contained. It he, he doesn't, doesn't even have to be a self-contained game, but uh, – mm-hmm. uh, uh, something pitched as an event or essentially a con game mm-hmm. reduces any sort of commitment you have. You play mm-hmm. with these people. If you find that like you really grokked with them and they really liked your style and you yeah. liked theirs, then you continue. If you didn't, you go, Oh, that was fun guys. Thanks. Have a nice day. Maybe
0: we'll do this. <laughs> Sarah again. told a great story on episode sixteen about about just that. I won't I won't spoil it for you, but if you want to hear an amusing tale about that, um go check that out. Anyway, I, I so I've heard
2: it's, it. It's a good it is a good story.
0: <laughs> it's it's not better to have loved than lost, and is that what we to take away from yeah. this whole thing?
2: Yes. <laughs> better to have never gamed yeah uh, well I'll, but consider this consider this uh, I think Sean has come to that conclusion through lots of gaming and games that he did not enjoy and realized that he has developed his tastes and doesn't feel the need now to uh, you know punish punish himself by playing things he knows he doesn't like uh, if I'm wrong like tell oh, no that's
1: that's 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 totally true I mean there's there's stuff you'll do for nostalgia. I have, I have a couple of high school buddies who are like, hey, I just picked up Shadowrun 5th Edition. And I'm like, I would never like get a group together and be like, hey, guys, we're going to have a serious game of Shadowrun 5th Edition because I love everything about Shadowrun except the system. But these are the guys that I used to play with in 1991 when the game first came out. So you know, I'll probably make an exception there and I will have fun hanging out with my high school buddies online playing a stupid game that I'm not going to take seriously, and neither is anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: uh, uh, Daniel, one thing I'd throw in there as a method to make this easier, and this came to me from uh, Lillian Cohen Moore. It was her idea, yes. uh, which was to put uh, Twitter uh, hash, Twitter names on people's badges. Um, yes. Certainly, Facebook identities would work, as would not G+, unfortunately, because there's no good way to the URLs are terrible, yes. um, but uh, uh, email would work. But some uh, putting some kind of method of communication on somebody's badge so that if somebody sees somebody they like, they have an easy way to go. Oh, cool! Hey, let me write down your. Mm. Your, your twitter id the only better way to do it would be to give every player every attendee a personalized business card that you made for them which has all their contact methodologies and then they can hand it to anybody they want to be able to get in touch with them
1: i think that you I... should make it really really easy and put everybody's pgp public key on their badges <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: sorry <sighs> all right okay well that's it for uh, for this week of penny red so that's goodbye from me And goodbye from me.
2: And me as well. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, Until next week, keep talking the walk.